May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. I was thinking this week of the days um, long ago when I used to be a university professor. And when I would look out at my students, and after a little bit of time, I realized that there were two types of students there. There were those who wanted a degree, and there were those who wanted an education. (laughs) This is not the same thing. Um, the, The distinguishing mark was never intellect or ability or socioeconomic background or family heritage. It was simply a matter of desire. That those who wanted an education had intellectual curiosity and they were, they were hungry and thirsty for knowledge and would just so- soak it up while the others, um, were not so much, you know? And so, um, you'd have one group of students who'd come and they would pay attention and listen and take notes and, and follow and, and, and engage in conversation. And you had others who would show up and sleep, um, if they showed up at all or they'd be playing on their phones or they would be busy about doing something. Um, but nowhere did the difference between these two types of students show up than on exam day, or really exam week. When it got to that week, just before the midterm or the final, all of a sudden you could see this vast difference. The learners, the people who wanted an education, were relaxed. They had been studying and thinking, engaging all semester long, or you know, the, the whole half of the semester, whatever it was. And so they would eat and sleep and go to lunch at the regular time, and pretty much everything in their life was somewhat normal. But the crammers, <laughs> the crammers were different people. They were, like, intense. They were freaked out. Um, they weren't eating. They weren't sleeping. They were staying up and trying to do things like, where did I put that textbook, you know, and go looking for it. And, and they would, they would uh, look for the notes that had been online all semester long, you know, and where are they, you know, not knowing how to get them. Uh, they would always show up at my office or, um, like, right at, as I was leaving class, and they would say things to me like, um, oh, Dr. Boisel, uh, do you think we're going to get a study guide for this exam? Were you thinking about a study guide? A study guide? Come on. Was this amateur hour study guide? And I would say to them, I gave you one. And they would look panicked. You could see the panic look in their eye, like, I don't remember. I didn't get it. I wasn't here that day. Or they would say something like, Oh, I must have lost mine, you know, um, something like that. And they would say, can I have another copy? And I would say, but don't you have a syllabus? Yes. That's the study guide. You know, study everything. Once you know everything, you'll be ready for the exam. And they were so disheartened, and I was so happy. Um, And it was a wonderful time. Um, The learners had peace. The learners were tranquil. The crammers were not. They were not ready, and they knew it. And I thought about how comforting it is when you're ready for something. You know, how comforting it is to to be prepared. Um, like if you're going to go on a journey, you're going to travel, to have your bags packed. You know, you've gone through that checklist. You, everything is ready. It's all in the bag. You know the suitcase is ready. You, you, you're comforted by that thought. Uh, or you're going to, to somebody's home and, and, and you're expected to bring a dish and, and you, you've already cooked it. It's already ready. Everything's together. It's, it's, you're relaxed. Um, you have this time of just peace and tranquility. With the expectation of learning, for me, though, nothing like that ever happens. Um, I, am, I am almost never ready for anything. I am always at the very last moment kind of person. If I'm going on a journey, I don't care if it's across the world. 
I'm not packing until like the day of, you know, that's, that's when it happens. And then I'm stressing and I'm, I'm fretting and, uh, you know, uh, my drug of choice is procrastination. Um, uh, I've thought about going into rehab and I think I'm going to start it tomorrow. Uh, but you know, that, that's the way it is. The thing about procrastinators is we try to front load the peace and safety, you know, the, the calm and the tranquility. We want that on the front end, but it never comes that way because you don't have the tranquility until you finish the preparations. If you're not ready, there is simply no peace. We've been studying um, for a couple of months now um, some ancient letters, somebody's old emails. <laughs> We've been kind of going through. And it's Paul. It's this missionary preacher, Paul, who's been traveling into Europe, the first, the first missionary into Europe. And, and he's traveled through some northern cities up in the northern part of Greece, what we would call Macedonia. And he's been going through these cities, and, and he would do the same thing. He would preach, and, and people would come, and he, they would be converted. And then he would sort of organize them into a church and show them how to how to have church together and appoint leaders, and then he would move on. But he would never move on forgetting the people who were behind, and he would send emissaries back, check on them. They would receive letters, and he would send letters. Some of them we have here, 13 letters in the New Testament. These are Paul's correspondences back and forth to these churches. He would know what was going on in Philippi when he was in a Roman prison. He knew what was going on in Thessalonica when he was down in Corinth in the southern part of Greece, and he would write letters. We can also surmise from his letters that the other part, the churches in Thessalonica and Corinth, where else, would also write to Paul. And what we have are generally the answers. So we have to kind of reconstruct what the question was. The first letter that Paul writes to the Thessalonians is really about three things. First one, he wants to encourage them. He wants to encourage them in their faith and their hospitality. He tells them about the fact that the news of their conversion has spread around the whole world. Everywhere he goes, he hears these stories about the Christians in Thessalonica and how amazing it is. And he he really encourages them in that. You're you're doing a great job. Paul also knows that every time he leaves a city, there are men who follow him around who go in and try to discredit Paul. They want to tear down his witness and and tell people that you, you can't really trust that guy. And he writes to the Thessalonians saying, I know there are people who are coming in and saying this. But here are some proofs of my authenticity, and he gives them to them. And then lastly, he answers their questions. The passage that we looked at today, that was in today's um, uh, bulletin, if you have that, will you open that with me? It's uh, the first chapter, first Thessalonians chapter 5. And we just get the first, um, the first paragraph or so, 11 verses. And he's answering questions, and the questions that he seems to be honing in on surround what he calls the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is a biblical theme that runs from the Old Testament prophets clear through um, to the final book of, of the New Testament, the book of Revelation. The day of the Lord, and you heard a little bit in Zephaniah today. The day of the Lord has a sort of a, this curious um, fluidity to it. It's, uh, it has times where it looks like it's a horrible, horrible event. You saw the day, like the destruction of all the people of the planet. They're all gone. This is the day of the Lord. And there's also day of the Lord, which is a hopeful um, reckoning that, that God is going to restore Israel in the Old Testament. And, and he's going to, to bring about the vindication of Israel and, and stifle all of Israel's enemies. And in the New Testament, then, of course, it's the return of the Lord Jesus. Jesus is going to return. And this is the day of the Lord. And, and when he returns, the same sort of things, a day of 
of glorious um, salvation for the people of God, a day of serious judgment for those who have rejected him. It's both and. But what it really spells is the end of human history. The day of the Lord is the final moment on the clock. There is no more time. Now, time is a construct that fits within eternity. It's not that that time has always existed. And so this is going to be the window of time that we had in eternity is going to stop. Human history is going to end. And this is the day of the Lord. And so the Thessalonian Christians have heard about this. Paul had preached about it, obviously, but they still have a little concern. When will this happen? When will the day of the Lord occur? How will I know when the day of the Lord is coming? Uh, how will I prepare for the day of the Lord? This is th- These are the questions. Look now at the text. Will you, the very first verse of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul writes to them, Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers or brothers and sisters, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. You have no need for me to write this to you. You are fully aware. This is a, this is a redundancy, right? <laughs> Saying the same thing twice. You have no need for me to write anything. You're already fully aware. Everything you need to know about the day of the Lord, you already know. So let me go back to the most basic element. It's funny how we forget sometimes like the most basic things, isn't it? And we have to go back. I, I have to be retrained all the time. Ask Abby and Martha, people that are, I have to constantly be retrained, you know. Uh, where's the broom again? Uh, all right, those sorts of things have to be answered. Paul wants to go back on the most basic thing. And that is that the day of the Lord will come at a time and an hour that no one knows. No one on earth And no one in heaven, save for God the Father himself. Only God knows when human history will end. Listen to what the Lord Jesus Christ himself said in Matthew's gospel. Concerning that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. The very first principle about the day of the Lord, is that there is absolutely no use in speculating about when it's going to happen. There is no use in speculating about when it's going to happen, what time or day or what season. Look what he says in the next verse, verse 2, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Um, this is metaphor and simile. You remember that? Whenever you use like or as, it's a simile. If you don't, it's a metaphor. Here's the simile. What's the simile? Like a thief in the night. What does that mean? It means when you're totally unprepared, <laughs> when you're not expecting it. I don't know about you. Some of you look like you could be night owls. You know, you're maybe you're still dragging a little bit this time of the day. But what I usually do in the middle of the night is sleep. <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I'm fast asleep and my dog is fast asleep, and if somebody came in, neither one of us would know it. Um, you know, she would not get up, and I would not get up. It would be a total, um, <laughs> it would be easiest theft ever. I'm not ready in the middle of the night. And this is what Paul says. When you're least expecting it, when you're least prepared, when you're totally oblivious of what is about to happen, that's when it will happen. Verse 3, when people are saying there is peace and security, Then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman 
and they will not escape. Now, I've seen this on television, and I know you have. There are people who go on TV, and they look through the Bible, and they look for signs of the times, and one of the signs they constantly look for is when there's a peace treaty being signed. Because then they'll say, look, there's a peace treaty being signed. These are signs of peace and safety. The day of the Lord is about to come. And they're doing the very thing that Paul says don't do. Do not do that. Don't speculate about the time. Don't look for signs of the time. Don't. What Paul is saying is, is that, that it's like when a, when a soldier hears of a surrender. Soldier in army. They hear of the surrender. And they're like, oh, wow. A mother whose son is at war. She hears of an armistice being signed. And what does she do? finally can breathe. Paul says, that's when it's going to happen. When nobody's expecting it, when you're totally unaware, that's when the day of the Lord is going to come. So what's a Thessalonian Christian supposed to do? If they don't know when, what are they supposed to do? Verse 6, look at this. So then... This is sort of a, an emphatic use of, of, of a conjunction here. This is a, a, now, pay attention. So then, let us not sleep as other do, others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Paul uses three metaphors here that all say the same thing. There are children of darkness and children of light, those who are asleep and those who are awake, those who are drunk and those who are sober. They're not about sleeping or drinking or daytime versus nighttime. They're about levels of awareness. They're about levels of preparation. If you're asleep, you're not alert and you're not ready. If you're in darkness, you can't see. If you're drunk, you have no awareness of what's going on around you. The big point here is about not studying signs and, and of the times and trying to be ready. It's about always being ready, about constantly being ready, about constantly being prepared. What are the Thessalonians Christians supposed to do? Be prepared. The question, though, is how? How should you be prepared? I'm glad you asked. Verse 8, look at this. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, when I lost my place, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Um, grammar teachers would probably have a field day with Paul. Like, can you stick to a single metaphor? I mean, is it impossible to just uh, stick with this and run with it? Uh, Lawrence and I were talking. I was like, man, there's got to be eight metaphors in here this week, you know, and I'm going through them. Notice what he switches to the metaphor. How is one to be prepared? like a soldier who gets prepared for battle. And the very first thing a smart soldier would do would be to throw on armor. You know, in today's world, um, you know, they have flak jackets, you know, this sort of, uh, uh, you know, bullet, uh, well, it's not really bulletproof, but, but at least bullet-inhibiting armor, and a helmet. You still wear a helmet. Why? Because you don't want to get shot in the head or the torso. Be prepared, put on armor, but notice it's not just any armor. What kind of armor are they to put on? A, a, a breastplate that covers one's chest and back, like in the ancient world, a helmet. But the things that, that are, are, are armor for us are these three things that Paul loves. Faith, hope, and love. Put on faith. 
Put on things that, that increase your faith. Put on love, living with a sense of charity towards all people. Put on hope, the hope of salvation. How do you prepare? How are you ready for something that you never know is going to happen? Well, you just put on this armor and you go about life. Do these things, Paul says, and there's nothing to worry about. Well, I think the application to us ought to be pretty straightforward and obvious, right? First of all, that we too believe that God has an end. There is a terminus to human history. We say it every week. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made. And then we say towards the end of that, he ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, He will come in glory to judge the living and the dead. And his kingdom will never end. He will stop human history with judgment, and then his kingdom will go on into eternity. This is a fundamental belief of Christians, and I think one that we have too often laid aside. That time is terminal, and the Lord is going to return. So, be ready. Be ready not by speculating about when, but be ready by living out the faith with the way we should, with faith, hope, and love. Put these things on as our regular armor and the regular way we go about life and encourage one another with this, this hope. Um, I remember, again, those days of, of being a professor, and, um, and I always like to think that... Um, that I wanted to have the most strenuous exams in the university. <laughs> I, I wanted it to be like, you know, oh, Dr. Boisel's exams, boy, they, they are really tough. Um, and I would always do this a midterm and a final. See, if somebody got a 42 on their midterm, you would not believe what a better student they became in the second half of the semester. Or they dropped off and you kind of, you know, cut losses early on. Right? <laughs> it's amazing what would happen with a, with a really strenuous midterm. But I remember my friend from Scotland telling me, he says, you know, in, in the UK, we don't have midterms. We just have a final. It's everything is hanging on that one exam. There are no, there are no exams along the way. There's no midterm. It's just you either know it or you don't. A final exam. And I kind of thought, well, you know what? The day of the Lord is sort of like that, isn't it? There's not a midterm to get ready. There's <laughs> nothing to slap you around a little bit and say, hello. It's a final exam. How do you get ready for a final exam that's so overwhelming? Just do simple things. Just put on the armor, faith, hope, and love, and then live your life, and you'll be ready. That's the difference between a learner and a crammer. There's only one exam. It's a final. So I think it behooves us to be prepared for it. Don't you? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.